we're doing the seven IMs and the seven miracles in John. So we've done, I'm the bread of life and I am the light of the world. So tonight we'll get the door of the sheep and the good shepherd and probably I am the resurrection and the life, which will leave us then, I am the way, the truth and the life and I am the true vine for next time. And that should finish us up. So I'm going to actually back it up and pick it up at the end of nine. And that was, I'm the light of the world. He healed the man who was born blind and said that I am the light of the world two times bracketing that healing. And of course, vision has to do with light. So I'm in 9.35. We didn't get to this last time, so I did want to pick it up. Yeshua heard that they had cast him out. and Having found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? Now him is the guy that got healed from being blind. And the temple authorities, the synagogue authorities, got real grumpy with him and gave him the third degree, and in the process ran him out of the synagogue. So Yeshua has tracked him down after he's been thrown out, and he's asking him, do you believe in the Son of Man? Of course, the Son of Man is a messianic term. So 36. He answered, and who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Yeshua said to him, you have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. This in the context of being the light of the world, you have seen him, which is me, because you saw me when I healed your eyes, and you are now speaking to me. 38, he said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. Yeshua said, for judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. And that, of course, should take you back to Isaiah chapter 6, Picking that up at verse 8. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am, send me. And he said, Go and say to this people, Keep on hearing but do not understand. Keep on seeing but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes. Lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. Of course, you all know that Isaiah is prophesying before the northern kingdom goes into exile. It is the job of a prophet, once God has decided to send his people into exile, to go and tell them they're going into exile, but he'll tell them in a way they won't understand. God's already made the decision, you're going. So what he does is he puts all this stuff in and writes it all down so that we, after the event, can look back and see what the problem was. Yeshua is doing the same thing. As you know, in 70 A.D., Israel was destroyed, the temple was destroyed, and the Jews were sent into exile. So Yeshua is speaking to the nation of Israel, or Judah in this case, because Israel has been gone. But he's speaking to the southern kingdom, to Judah, and he is speaking in the same way that Isaiah spoke. And so he says to this guy whose eyes he opened, For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? Yeshua said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now you say, We see, and your guilt remains. So he's talking to the leadership of Judah, and he is condemning them for their behavior. And the rabbis say that the reason for this particular exile that they're in right now, and that exile started in 70 A.D., is baseless hatred. I don't think that 
they're going into exile because they don't believe him. They're going into exile because their society has become corrupt. That's always the reason they get sent into exile. The first exile was because of idolatry. This one is because of baseless hatred. They just can't get along. Yes, they don't believe in him, but the reason that they don't believe in him is because their society has become corrupt and they aren't following Torah anymore. So the thing that gets them thrown out is not not believing in him. It is straying from what God wants them to be doing. And a symptom of having strayed is their lack of belief in him. Had they been following Torah, Yeshua might not have come then. Other reasons, I think, that he is going to come there regardless. But the point is, their disbelief in him is simply one of the side effects of the fact that they have strayed from what God wants. And had they been doing what God wants them to do, and Yeshua had come, his message would have been a lot different. He wouldn't be coming as this Isaiah or Jeremiah who's telling them, you guys are going down on chapter 10. In my book, this is a continuation of the previous conversation. In other words, there's a chapter break there, but there's no indication of a time break. So, chapter 10. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of a stranger. This figure of speech Yeshua used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. Now, there isn't the crisp break in the book of John as there is in the book of Matthew. In the book of Matthew, you have... Yeshua going along, healing people, doing all sorts of miracles and and stuff like that. And then the Pharisees accuse him of doing his miracles by the power of Beelzebub. And at that point in his ministry, Yeshua switches from speaking plainly to speaking in parables. The first parable that he gives is the parable of the sower. And his disciples got no idea what he's talking about. And they said, what are you talking about, boss? We don't understand what you're saying. So he has to explain the parable of the sower to them. And then they say, well, why are you going into code speak? And he says, because to some it is given to understand, but to some it's not given to understand. And I'm going to speak the truth, but they're not going to understand what I'm saying because they're going into exile. That break is very clear in the book of Matthew. It is not nearly so clear here in the book of John because the book of John is organized differently. The book of John is organized around the seven I am statements and the seven miracles. And the book of Matthew is more chronological. So he's been talking to these guys now and he says, hey, I have come so that the blind will receive their sight and those seeing will be made blind, echoing Isaiah. He then goes into this business about the sheep and it just goes right over their windscreen. They have no idea what he's talking about. And what I'm saying to you is this is all part of the same conversation. There isn't, as near as I can tell, there's no time break here. So what he's doing is he is explaining to them why it is they're in trouble. So he gives this little parable with the sheep. I don't understand. 
So now down to verse 7. So Yeshua again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. This is one of his I am statements. All who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I come that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Let's pause there for a minute. He's talking here in, I believe, two parallel tracks. Track one is he is talking to the physical synagogue and temple leadership. And he's saying, you guys are the leaders of Israel. You're not doing what you're supposed to do. You are not good shepherds. You are acting like hirelings, which you'll talk about in a minute. The hireling runs when the wolf comes, but the good shepherd stays and, and defends. So he's saying, you guys are hirelings, and you're not doing the stuff that you are supposed to do. In fact, what you're doing is you are getting fat off of the sheep that you are supposed to be tending. So that's sort of thing one he's saying. But then you have this business of somebody entering by the wrong gate. That does not apply to these guys. Who that applies to is Satan. Because the deal with Yeshua is he enters through the right gate, which is to say the womb of a woman. He is born of a woman. That's the proper gate by which you enter this world. Anybody who enters the world by some other gate is not legitimate. So what Satan is trying to do is trying to usurp authority and rule the place not having come in by the proper gate. Yeshua is saying, I came in by the proper gate. I was born of a woman. Therefore, now that I am asserting that I am the good shepherd, I am in fact authorized to be a shepherd in this flock. There's sort of two things going on there. Quite frankly, neither one of which they understand. First is, you got to be born of a woman in order to come in to the sheepfold. That's the proper gate. And Satan doesn't qualify there. Second is, you got to be a faithful shepherd and be ready to lay down your life for the sheep. And you Pharisees and temple and synagogue leadership don't qualify there. So now let's pick it up at verse 10. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I come that they may have life and have it abundantly. And by the way, steal, kill, and destroy is descriptive of Satan. I come that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. What I'm thinking he's talking about there is the leadership that's got skin on, which is the temple authorities, the Pharisees, and the synagogue authorities. These are people who are in a position where they are supposed to be shepherds. They, in fact, don't care for the sheep. And because they don't care for the sheep, when the wolf comes, Satan, what winds up happening is the sheep get scattered instead of being protected. 14, I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. Several things there. 
sort of back them up. One flock, one shepherd, that can refer to two things. Israel and Judah are currently separated, and when you read all the descriptions of the New Covenant in the Old Testament, what you read about is the reunification of Israel and Judah. He will be their God and they will be his people. So this could entirely be the sheep that are not of this fold, this fold being Judah, or the Jews, or the occupants of the land of Israel during the time when he walked on earth, and the other fold being the ten tribes that were driven into exile. That is a perfectly good explanation. The other possible explanation is Jews and Gentiles, and quite frankly, I don't like the second explanation as well as I like the first. And the reason is that it is Israel's job, once they are reunified under the Messiah in the New Covenant, to then serve as the priests for all of the rest of the world. And by the way, who's the wolf? That's Satan. So back in verse 12, he who is a hired hand and not the shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. The wolf snatches them and scatters them. I will suggest to you the wolf here is Satan. So now I'm all the way down to verse 17. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I might take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. So this is a continuation of the discussion that began clear back in chapter 5, where he is explaining his authority and his relationship to the Father. And so everything he does here refers back to the mission that he was given by his Father. Down to verse 19. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, he has a demon, and he is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of one who was oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? At that time, the Feast of Dedication took place in Jerusalem. So now we have a time break. Before we were at the Feast of Sukkot, now we are at the Feast of Dedication, which is Hanukkah, which took place in Jerusalem. It was winter, and Yeshua was walking in the temple, in the colonnade of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us at suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. Yeshua answered them, I told you and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. But you do not believe because you are not part of my flock. So we're still talking about the Good Shepherd. So even though we have a time break here, we have a continuity in thought. 27. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life. They will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Who is he talking about as not being part of his flock? I don't know. Now, Calvinists will hang out in places like this in the Bible. In other words, the only people who are given to Yeshua are the ones that God gives him. And if God gives you to Yeshua, basically he makes you an offer you can't refuse. And if God doesn't give you to Yeshua, you're just out of luck, Jack. Sorry about that. It's more elaborate than that, but that's what it boils down to. The last time we talked about this, earlier on in the book, what I said was, I think he may be talking about his disciples in this case. His disciples were given to him by the Father. And during the time he physically walks on the earth, what he's talking about is his disciples. After the resurrection, then it is given to anybody 
to come and join his flock, if you will. Before then, I think he may be talking about his disciples. So I'm all the way down maybe to verse 31. The Jews picked up stones again to stone him. Yeshua answered them, I have shown you many good works from the Father, for which of them are you going to stone me? In other words, I've done, done nothing but good, why are you going to stone me? The Jews answered him, It is not for a good work that we are going to stone you, but for blasphemy, because you, being a man, make yourself God. Yeshua answered them, Is it not written in your Torah, I said, you are gods? This is Psalm 82, verse 6. You are gods, and the word there is Elohim. Elohim can mean mighty ones, as well as it's a title of God the Father. But the generic word means mighty ones, and it is used in other senses in the Bible besides for God. So, is it not written in your law, I said you are gods? If he called them gods to whom the word of God came, and scripture cannot be broken, do you say of him whom the Father consecrated and sent into this world, you are blaspheming? because I said I am the Son of God. So what he's saying is, Scripture is Scripture. It cannot be broken. The person who wrote that psalm was under the influence of the Holy Spirit. So he was writing the truth. If, in writing that, which is true and from God, he called his contemporaries gods, why are you upset with me, who was consecrated by God, and am calling himself the Son of God? So down in verse 37. If I am not doing the works of my Father, then don't believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works, that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. Again, they sought to arrest him, but he escaped from their hands. By the way, the Jews say that miracles are not sufficient to authenticate somebody as being from God. Pharaoh's guys could do miracles. So the mere fact that somebody is able to do miracles is not sufficient. What he's saying is, I am doing the works of my Father, which is to say I'm healing, raising the dead, those kinds of things. The thing that he is saying is making his works different is they are not simply random, obscure wonders. They are, in fact, things that bring an enhanced life. What he's been doing is he has been doing miracles, healing people and so forth, and he's doing it in such a way as to pick a fight with the synagogue authorities. He deliberately does it on the Sabbath, and then when he does it on the Sabbath and they can't figure out who did it, he goes and finds the guys he did it to and says, hey, go tell the guys that I did it. So what he's doing is he's picking fights over the nature of the Sabbath, and he's picking fights with them over the nature of who he is. So I'm all the way down to verse 40. He went away again across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing at first, and there he remained. And many came to him, and they said, John did no sign, but everything that John said about this man was true. Remember, we went back chapter 5, I believe, where he was saying, John bore witness to me. And what they're doing is they're saying, John bore witness to him. And many believed in him there. Now, a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Yeshua heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now, back when he was doing I am the shepherd, he said, I'm going to give them eternal life, and those who believe in me will not die. I'm in uh, 10, 
25. So Yeshua answered them, I told you and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness to me, but you do not believe because you are not part of my flock. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Now in the death of Lazarus, we're going to raise Lazarus from the dead. So I'm now down in 11 verse 4. But when Yeshua heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. So this is very much like, why is this guy blind? Did he sin or did his mother sin? Neither one. This is happening so that God may be glorified. Verse 5. Now Yeshua loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So... When he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. The reason he stayed two days longer so Lazarus would have time to die is because he loved him. That's what it says. Verse 7. After this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and you're going there again. Yeshua answered, are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to waken him. This reference to light, I think, is going back to I am the light of the world. Verse 12. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Yeshua had spoken of his death, but they thought he meant taking a rest and sleep. And Yeshua told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. So Thomas called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us go that we may die with him. So Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I am glad I was not there. This is all leading up to if Lazarus had just gotten sick, and I had waltzed in there while he was still alive but sick, and I had healed him of his sickness, this whole thing would have passed and you would have never remembered it. The idea here is Yeshua, because of his love for Lazarus and his sisters, and because he wants to teach his disciples a certain lesson, hangs out for two days before he sets out to go and raise Lazarus from the dead. Wants to make sure he's not just mostly dead that he's really dead. So Thomas called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us go now that we may die with him. And that, of course, then refers to the antecedent, which says, why are you going back to Judea? They're trying to stone you. So what Thomas is saying, all right, if you're going back, we're going back to it, and we'll all get stoned together. Verse 17. Now when Yeshua came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. Now when Martha heard that Yeshua was coming, she went out to meet him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Yeshua, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. So I am suggesting that what Martha is doing there is, hint, 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 raise him from the dead. That's what I'm suggesting she's getting at there. Yeshua said to her, Your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Yeshua said to her, 
I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yea, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. So Martha is sort of, hint, 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 can we do something? And Yeshua is saying, your brother will rise again. And I'm sort of getting this, yeah, I know he's going to rise again, but I was having an idea of something more immediate. I'm not saying she's not faithful. I'm simply saying he says your brother will rise again, and she's sort of taking it as, well, yeah, I'm sure in the resurrection, but I'm sort of thinking of something more immediate here. And he isn't giving her an answer that she grabs onto and realizes what he's going to do. Being raised from the dead has happened several times before in Scripture, so this is not beyond the realm of possibility, and it's not certainly beyond the realm of what she believes Yeshua is capable of. The only question is, are you going to do it? So then we have this I am statement, I am the resurrection and the life, and whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live, and everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. You believe this. And Martha is thinking in terms of the final resurrection when she says yes. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Yeshua had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. Then the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out. They followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. It's customary in Jewish society to sit Sheva, which when somebody dies, you sit for seven days and people will come and sit with you and, you know, bring you a nice covered dish and all that kind of stuff. But there's a seven-day period after a death when your total focus is on the departing one and people will gather around you and come to your home during that time. 32. Now when Mary came to where Yeshua was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Notice she's echoing her sister. 33. When Yeshua saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Yeshua wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? So everybody is on the same sheet of music here. Martha, if you'd been here, he wouldn't have died. Mary, if you'd been here, he wouldn't have died. Everybody else. So everybody is sort of doing the Jewish mother thing with him. You could have called. I wouldn't have died. That kind of thing. 38. Then Yeshua, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, but a stone lay against it. Yeshua said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor for he is dead in four days. Yeshua said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Yeshua lifted up his eyes and said, Father, thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. In other words, I don't need to say anything here, but what I'm doing is I'm saying this out loud so the people around me can hear it and understand what's going on. What he's explicitly saying is it isn't the case that I need to be doing any praying here, but I will. 43. 
When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips, his face wrapped with a cloth. Yeshua said to them, Unbind him and let him go. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Yeshua had done. So the chief priests and Pharisees gathered the council and said, What are we to do? For this man performs many signs. If we let him go on like this, someone will believe in him, and the Romans will come and take away our place in our nation. Please consider becoming a sponsor. Please visit crimsonthread.com purpose for an extra... of what we're doing and perhaps to become a sponsor. Thank you.